It's great to see you guys. Last week I shared about how this year what we're going to do is we're going to walk back through the journey of breakthroughs we've had as a community. That doesn't mean that we're going to repeat sermons, but we are going to repeat breakthroughs. And we're going to go through the foundational things that have transformed so many of our lives that took us years to do, and we're going to accelerate them and do them together. And every week we're aiming to be one of these transformational weeks. You might say, awesome, that sounds great. So why are you starting with prayer? It's like, boring. If prayer's boring to you, I suggest that you've got boring prayers. If you're like, oh, prayer, oh, I'm probably like that when you're, no, I won't say that. Here's why. The majority of Christian prayers I've heard and the majority of Christian prayers I've prayed have been filled with lies, unbelief, and falsehoods. The majority, vast majority, 25 years minimum of my prayers had zero power, zero faith. What's more embarrassing than to be a Christian, someone who has faith, and to have all your prayers, all the things that demonstrate that you know God and have faith, have complete void of any power and authority? It's funny because I learned from listening to others. That's what we do as Christians, right? We all develop like Christian ease, Christian speak. Hey, brother, how's your heart, right? (laughs) We develop lingo. We develop different things that we, we hear people say and we repeat it. And the same thing happens with the Christian faith as we learn to pray. We learn these spiritual disciplines. We, we watch other people. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, which is fantastic. Especially when it's Paul. But some of us weren't imitating Paul. We're imitating some guy who got his theology wrong. It's this monkey see, monkey do mentality, but no one ever asked to see if the original monkey had lost their marbles. And a vast majority of my prayers, and I would suggest a vast majority of prayers maybe in this room at some point in time have been filled with lies, unbelief, and falsehoods. On Sunday night, we had some friends over to have some Thai food. Fantastic. My little daughter there, four years old. Scarlett, do you want to pray? She's like, yeah. So she prays, and it takes her like a little bit. She like closes her eyes really hard. And she says, Dear Jesus, I love you that you're my heart. We love everybody, and everybody loves you. Amen. Now, that doesn't sound like that profound of a prayer, but you and I hear in this, I hear fragments of my prayers with her. The only reason she knows to even pray that is because I praise like, Jesus, thank you that you're in our heart. Jesus, thank you that we love you. Thank you, Lord, that we get to love you by loving other people. And so she picks these things up, and so her natural tendency is to repeat what she's been heard. And that affects us in our prayer. But here's the thing. If there are lies built into the repeating, think of like that game telephone, right? We tell someone like, you know, this complicated thing, and they tell someone else, they tell someone else, and by the end of it, you have this completely different version that doesn't make any sense to anybody. Have you ever played that game? And that's what I believe our prayers have been, is what happens when you repeat lies in your prayers generation after generation after generation, person after person, is those lies become part of your faith. You don't know it, but you had a Trojan horse in your prayers that hijacked your faith. 
Because you've been trained to say them all your entire life. I've heard all the righteous people say that. So you pray these things, and because you've heard other people pray them, they now have hijacked your faith to be questioned. You've heard of death by a thousand paper cuts? How about death by a thousand lies? It's like what my prayer life has been. It was probably at the age of 28, finally, when I had a passion to memorize the Bible and memorize key verses, which I can teach anybody. I'd love to teach you if that's a passion of yours or interest of yours. It's like, I've been praying lies. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. So let me tell you what my prayers were like in my life for 20 plus years. They sounded like this. Dear God, thank you for this day. I'm a sinner, Lord. Please forgive me of my sins, especially the one I committed yesterday. Today, Lord, give me your spirit. Be with me, Lord. I pray that you give me peace. I pray that you give me patience. Lord, give me love for the person in my life that I don't want to love. Give me joy today, Lord. God, would you give me power? Would you make me complete? I'm a work in progress needing you today. I pray today that you defeat the enemy before me. And Lord, if it's your will for this person who needs to be saved, or Lord, if it's your will for this person to be healed, would you heal them? In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you, does that sound like a prayer that you've prayed? Sounds pretty familiar, right? The only thing that is correct in that entire prayer is, Lord, thank you for this day. The single accurate thing I pray in that entire prayer, it sounded like, oh, I'm at church. It sounded like I'm at home. It sounded like, again, I have like this prayer practically memorized. The only thing that theologically, biblically is correct is, Lord, thank you for the day. And your prayers are what reveal what you believe and what you live by. I can tell everything about someone and what they believe by overhearing what they pray. What you pray is what you believe. And that's why we talk about prayer. It's actually the, the, the starting ground, the starting battleground for what you believe is what you pray out loud. And how you pray says what you believe and how you believe it. And so for, for most of my life, I've prayed from a position of unbelief and uncertainty. So let me prove to you that that prayer is completely unbiblical and harmful to me. Let's start from the beginning. I'll deconstruct this one by one. I'm a sinner, Lord. Please forgive me of all my sins and also the sin I committed yesterday. Now, unless you're praying for salvation, you're declaring all sorts of lies in this prayer. A sinner is what you are before you receive Christ. After you receive Christ, you're called a saint. Nowhere in the Bible do you find a Christian after conversion called a sinner. They're called a saint, a royal priesthood. The names, the language, you are the righteousness of God. There's no place that God identifies you. He calls you the righteousness of God. He doesn't tarnish your identity by calling you a sinner again. Does that mean that you're not capable of sinning? Of course you're still capable of sinning. Sometimes I wanted to. That's not the point. The point is the identity. Lord, I'm not just a sinner saved by grace. That might be the history lesson of my life. That's not who I am. So stop calling yourself a sinner and start identifying yourself with who you are. I'm a saint. And the same goes with continually asking God for forgiveness. 
Now, there's no instruction anywhere in the Bible where a Christian continually seeks forgiveness for new sins. Now, asking God for forgiveness for sins is not a sin, but believing that the cross didn't cover all your sins is. It's not a sin to ask God for forgiveness of a sin, but believing that the cross did not cover all of your sins is. Hidden in your prayer of, God, forgive me for this, God, forgive me for that, is the lie that you actually have, watch this, unforgiven sins. If you are in Christ, there's no such thing as an unforgiven sin in your life. Now, I had fears all growing up that I would go into this forgiven, unforgiven state. Forgiven, unforgiven. Oh, I just thought of that. Unforgiven, dang it. You know, I had this continual fear. And heaven forbid if I'm like thinking something bad and I get in a car wreck and I die, like where do I go? I'm, I'm unforgiven. I mean, this is the psychology, psychological like torment I have about being unforgiven in perpetual fear. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Right? Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So if you're unforgiven, where's that blood coming from? Do you think Jesus is going to repeat the cross? Don't count on it. To say that God is going to re-forgive you of sins, it says to make God a liar and put him to shame. That's what the Bible says. There's not going to be a second cross. There's not going to be a new forgiveness. The first one was sufficient. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ died for sins once for all. Everyone say once. Once. How many know that in the Bible, once means once? One time. Jesus wants you to know that when he died for your sins, he died for all of your sins forever. Hebrews 8.12, it says, I will forgive their sins, and I will remember their sins no more. I will remember your sins no more. So when you come to God and like, God, I did this thing, it's like, oh, oh man, this was like 2,000 years ago. I don't know if I even remember that. Because he paid for all of your sins at the cross. He's like, yeah, that's old news, man. Old news. I don't even remember it. He's like, he promises that he doesn't remember. In Isaiah 43, 25, this is something unique about God saying he doesn't remember your sins. He says, for my own sake, for God's own sake, he remembers your sins no more. Fascinating. Now, people have gotten upset with me on this idea. For whatever reason. I'm just like, I'm, I'm looking at the Bible. God does not remember your sins or there's one cross, he died for sins once for all time. No problem. I get a lot of feisty people on this topic. You might be one of them. Now, there's some people who are like, I like to practice myself of asking for forgiveness. No problem. That's totally cool. If that floats your boat, float it. No problem there for me. But here's the thing. When you are continually seeking new forgiveness for forgiveness that happened one time, there is an ingredient of faithlessness in that belief. Paul talks about people who are eating food sacrificed to idols, and you have to believe that that food, there's no such thing as an idol that you can enjoy it. And Romans 14.23 says this, that he who doubts and eats is condemned because his eating is not from faith. And then he says this bombshell of a passage, 
and for whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. You thought sin was just like this short list. Whatever is not from faith is sin. And so when I come to God and like asking God, God, forgive me of this, and having zero faith that I've actually been forgiven for all time, I found sin in my own seeking of forgiveness. That's how messed up the devil wants to make our minds. And so in your prayers, stop looking at your sin and start looking to Jesus. And if you want to identify your sins in your prayers, that's no problem. You can do that. But say it in such a way that it makes truth. Like say, I apply the blood of Jesus on the sin. Reclaim the sin if you want. But don't get trapped into the lie that, God, I, I'm unforgiven all of a sudden, that the cross wasn't sufficient. That I need a new forgiveness. Don't get trapped in that. Don't get wrapped up into the fear that you can ever be unforgiven. And so instead, in your prayers, say, Jesus, I'm forgiven, and all of my sins have been paid for for all time. Thank you. And then nothing separates me from you because I had that fear that I was continually separated. I thought that I've sinned, and I'm separate from God, and now I need to confess, be forgiven, to be reconciled. For 20 years in my life. You guys with me? If you're upset, we can talk after. And you don't have to agree with me. Check it out in the Bible yourself. No problem with that. Number two is this. Give me your spirit, Lord. Be with me. Now, this might be the one that hacks me off the most. Because probably the most mind-blowing truth in all the scriptures, in all the universe, is that Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, whoever's united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. You are inseparable from Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are the temple of God and God's spirit dwells inside of you? Is this thing on? Can you believe that? If we really grasp for a second that the presence of God is inside of me, and here we are. God, be with me. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, I can't get any closer. Asking for God to give you his spirit is like asking to be wet in a swimming pool. Makes no sense. I could spend the rest of eternity my entire life just like, Christ is in me, holy cow. Like every Sunday, every Thursday, we should just be doing that all day. It's the most incredible thing. And so when people say, oh God, give me your spirit, please. It's like, please read the word. How did you miss this part? It's, and I've accumulated all these passages, the same thought. It's the most transformational thing in my life. If you are in Christ, you have no choice if Jesus is with you or not. Jesus relocated to you. His new mailing address is you. And he hates moving just as much as you do. So he's not going anywhere. He's permanently located. Now, I understand that sometimes people want a supernatural outflowing, which is a different thing that I'm not going to talk about tonight. But it doesn't make sense for us to say, God, give me your spirit if you like me asking my wife, we've been married 12 years this, this summer, 
to marry me every day. Now, the first few days, it'd be kind of cute. But 12 years later, she's like, if you say it one more time, I'm going to hurt you. In fact, if I continually sought after her, just like continually seeking for forgiveness, I mean, my wife is wonderful. But at some point, she's going to say, actually, you always asking me this is kind of offensive now. Do you not know what I did in marrying you? <laughs> do you why do you keep having to have me reaffirm it? I, and I know that God doesn't say that to us because we know, I'll teach that some other time. But the fact that we come and say, God, give me your spirit. God, forgive me. And he's like, oh my gosh, did you not read the book? Did you not get the best part? The next is, how about the give me's and the help me's? Give me, help me. Which is not as bad as the just's. Just's, just, Lord, just this. I get that. I'm not going to pick on people's grammar, though that, that wouldn't be very nice because I'm not very good with my grammar. But here are some of the ones like, give me peace, give me patience, give me joy, help me love this person. Now, Christians have this terrible habit of asking God for things that he's already given us, just like we saw with, give me your spirit. The majority of your prayers are actually asking for something you've already been received. It's like me in the middle of eating a burrito, asking God for a burrito. It's like, it's about your eyes, man. Like, you have it. Remember that we have God's spirit. We're unified with him. We possess, if God is in you, follow me here. If God is in you, you possess every attribute of God in you. If God is in you, you possess every attribute of God in you. Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Not a few spiritual blessings, not some, not a, but every spiritual blessing. Why? Because Christ is in you. In fact, we've been given everything. 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has granted us all things. His divine power has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness according to the true knowledge of him. Why does it say according to true knowledge? Because sometimes we get our mind mixed up. We don't think we have everything, but we do. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, you know the passages for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How many times are we praying, God, give me love and patience? It's like the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, the result of the Spirit. If you are in Christ, you have him as your Savior. You have those things. What does this mean? It means before you ask God for something, why don't you double-check that he hasn't already given it to you in the first place? Before you ask God for something, you might want to double-check to make sure he hasn't already given it to you. Here's the thing is that 99% of all my prayers were asking things for things I've already received, that God has already been given to me. And instead, your prayer should actually be declaring what you have. Your prayers should be declaring that you have all love, you have all joy, you have all peace, you have all kindness. 
So your prayers in this context should be, thank you, Jesus, you have given me everything for every circumstance. I declare peace, patience, love over this situation because you've given it to me, dang it. How about give me power? Lord, give me power. So salvation's free, but we got to beg for power. Christians pray for power like they're in a power outage. It's the most bizarre thing. Acts 1.8. But the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will give you power. Not some, not like a battery. He'll give you power. I love it. The, the word John, I think 3.34 says, he gives the Spirit without limit. He gives the Spirit without limit. You don't have Jesus light. You don't have Holy Spirit light. You don't have diet Jesus or anything like that. Like, he gave you the full dose. He gave you everything. Romans 8.11 says, The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Another one of those inside you passages. It says the power of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So when Jesus, remember, he relocated to your heart, he also pays the electricity bill so you are not lacking in power, ever. You just might not know how to use it. But the Bible talks about you having so much power that you emanate light. Why do you think you emanate light if you have no power? Answer me that. The question is, do you know how to use it? The question isn't whether or not you have power. Now, the question is, do you know how to apply it and use it? And your prayer should be, thank you, Jesus, that I am powerful. I have the Holy Spirit within me. How about, would you make me complete, Lord? I didn't talk to Nick beforehand. You nailed it. Like, I was like, one, two, three. He mentioned it four times, remember? I don't even have those passages in my notes. But the scripture affirms that you are complete in Christ. She's like, God, I'm just a work in progress. He's like, what? wasn't my doing then. Because I made you complete. Colossians 2.10. For in him you have been made complete. Jesus doesn't transform in installments. He doesn't put your transformation on layaway. Does he do layaway anymore? Is that a term any of us even know? I don't think I even know what that means. You are lacking in nothing. It's important to know you are lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. It's the word. It's the truth. Everything you need for any transformation is already there. But wait, my life doesn't look like Jesus. I'm just a baby in Christ. You say I have every spiritual blessing. You say I have all these things. But my life looks like a child in Christ. Here's anything about babies. We have two of them. A child is born with legs, knees, feet, joints, they have hips, they have balance, they have a brain. They have every single thing they need to walk. It just takes them a while to learn how to use what they've already been given. We don't pray that my daughter would suddenly have, you know, balance. Like, well, she has balance. She's just, like, learning to use it in harmony with the other parts of her body. The same thing is with you in Christ. You didn't feel like you got zapped when you got saved, but you were. 
And you might just be figuring out how to put the pieces together, but, but Christ like, I sent you the full shipment. It's in your heart. It's in your body. And you journey through how to use them together, but you're not lacking in anything. And so stop asking for what you have and start declaring who you are and start learning to use what you've been given. In this place, you should say, thank you, Jesus, that you have made me complete, lacking in nothing, everything I need for this day I've been given. How about next is, defeat the enemy! Not on this community, but there's a lot of communities that are like terrified of the devil. Oh, the devil's after me! Like, the devil's not, like, I'm after him, like, okay, so... Are you on the run or is he on the run? Like, have you read the end? Like, we win. <laughs> the funny thing is that we, we talk about um, defeating the enemy, binding the enemy, cast out the devil, the devil is after me. But newsflash, Satan has already been defeated at the cross. Now, just because someone lost doesn't mean that they vacate the premise. You have a bad sportsman who refuses to concede to losing. That's exactly what Satan's doing. He's still kind of roaming around trying to cause trouble, but the victory's done. Like, it's, there's, it's done. It's that he's still around causing trouble, trying to cause drama, and he's just, being, he's just waiting to be evicted. That's what's happening here with Satan. But sometimes we just, like, elevate. Like, like do, you not, do you not know who won here? <laughs> like, who's in charge and who's crushing who? Colossians 2.15 says, this having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them at the cross. The cross was the greatest victory ever over the devil. And when Paul talks about fighting against Satan, because there's still, remember, Satan's trying to spoil it. You know how Paul talks about, like, fighting back and, no, no, it's actually standing. Standing. Not advancing, not forcefully fighting, but standing, resisting. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, right? You need to be reminded about who you are, whose you are. Romans 16, 20 says this about you. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your foot. That little heel of yours, it's practical for crushing the enemy here and now. Don't wait for God to do something he said you will do. If you see like the devil getting around, like stamp it out. Go crush it. You've been given the keys. You've been given authority. And Jesus has empowered you because remember he lives in you to go stomp out his attempts for messing with you. So instead you should pray, thank you that the enemy is defeated and the battle's already won. I plan to crush and stamp out any remaining attempts that Satan or his minions are going to try and mess up my day. That's what we say about the enemy. If it's your will, God, for this person to be saved or to be healed, would you, if it's your will, which if you're invoking God's will, it says two things. You either don't know what the will of God is or you're trying to create an insurance policy in case it doesn't happen. How many of you guys have ever, like, don't raise your hand. Um, I'll just raise my hand. In saying, God, if it's your will, as kind of an easy out in case it doesn't happen. Well, I guess it wasn't God's will. 
Now, tonight's not the night I'm preaching on God's will because I've done that many times, and I probably will do it again. But I can tell you that Romans 12.2 says that we are to know the will of God in such a degree that we can test and approve it. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to test and approve God's will. I never remember that part. You are to know God's will to such a degree that you can test and prove it. Quick answer, the will of God is salvation, obedience, joy, rewards. So when you pray, you actually can pray for that person who needs to be saved. God, it's your will that they are saved, that they respond to you. It is your will. It is your desire. God, for that person who's needing healing, it is your will to heal. We declare it's God's will for this to take place. God, it is your will that I rejoice today. Don't pull the God, God's will card unless you are prepared to know what it is. So let's compare and contrast the first prayer to the revised prayer. Here is the original one. Dear God, thank you for this day. I'm a sinner. Lord, please forgive me of all my sins, and particularly the ones I committed yesterday. Today, Lord, give me your spirit. Be with me, Lord. I pray you would give me peace. I pray you would give me patience. Give me love for this person that is in my life that I don't want to love. Give me joy today. Give me power, God. Would you make me complete? I'm a work in progress in eating you. I pray you defeat the enemy before you. And God, if it's your will, would this person get saved and this person be healed? Now, after our extreme makeover prayer edition, here's how it really should sound like. Dear God, thank you for this day, the single thing that remains. Thank you that I'm a saint. Thank you that I've been forgiven for all time. Whatever I did today, yesterday, or I'm about to do, I apply the blood of Jesus upon it, and I walk in victory. Thank you that I have your spirit living inside me. You are always with me. It is impossible for me to be separate from you. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given me everything for every circumstance. I have all joy, I have all love, I have all peace, and all patience for every situation, even this guy who's driving me nuts. I choose to apply everything you've given me today. Thank you that you've given me power. I have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me, and I choose to live it today. Thank you, Jesus, you've made me complete, lacking in nothing. I stand confident knowing that I'm equipped for everything I face. Thank you, Jesus, that the enemy is defeated and the battle is won. I don't plan on seeing the devil today, but if I do, I'm going to whoop his butt like no tomorrow. And for that person needing healing, thank you, God, it is your will to heal. Thank you, Lord, it is your will that they are saved. And I declare healing and salvation. Now, which prayer would you rather pray? That's a good answer. (laughs) Something to notice. We converted every request into a thank you. We sometimes get request fatigue with God. I'm asking him so much. I'm asking for his presence. It's such a big request. And now we take all the things that we spend all this time asking and we just thank you that I already have it. And guess what? You're like, now I've got to think of things to ask him. Your prayers become so much more powerful when you can declare truth, that you can declare what is, not what should be. 
If you want to transform your prayers from being wimp status to warrior status, you need to know the truth of who you are, what God says about you, what he's given you, and your prayers need to become battle cry declarations for your day. So some quick suggestions on prayer, and I'm going to close with this. Stop asking what you've already been given and declare what you have. You hear, I, I love it because like it's, I'm comfortable around you guys because we hear, I declare peace, and that's perfect. That's exactly right. So to know the difference between facts and truth, here's where your mind will kind of catch you up is say, I feel fearful, but I actually have peace. Just because my emotions feel, that, that's truth. Like, or I'm sorry, that's a fact. That It's a fact, I feel fearful, but the truth is, I have peace. There's a difference between fact and truth. The next is to don't talk to God about your problems, but talk to your problems about your God. You can say, like, God, I can, let's have a conversation about this. He's like, you know the checklist I gave you. Go do business. And we begin to talk to our problems like, I see you problem, but you have no idea who you're messing with because here's what I've got coming for you. Speak to your problems from a position of confidence and truth about who you are, your victory, and your partnership with Christ. Be thankful. Notice how my earlier prayer was from an orphan mentality, a, a place of need, of abandonment. Every single prayer that I prayed in the first prayer was practically a prayer of like, rescue me, I've been abandoned. The second prayer is a prayer of victory, declaring what I have and thanking God. My first prayer was basically 100% complaints and requests. My second prayer was 99% thanksgiving. And now I have to think of what I'm going to ask God. That's the problem with my prayer life right now is I'm running out of things to ask God. He so wildly blessed me when I converted my prayers. I'm like, man, I spent all my morning praying just thanking God. and like, I got to think of new things to ask. Pray for specific outcomes. Vague prayers yield vague responses. God, just make it suck less. Doesn't, like, inspire anyone But come to God boldly, in faith. Remember, whatever is not from faith is sin. Don't come to praying God like, God, you're probably not going to do it, but don't even go there. My daughter asked me for things all the time. She unfortunately discovered power wheels about three weeks ago. She doesn't know what to call them. I can't tell her the name. She's like, I want like the big car with like two seats that goes all by itself with two seats that's big that me and Mav can be in and it's a little steering wheel. And she'll describe it all the time. She's making her birthday wish list 11 months in advance. (laughs) I don't care if she asks me for audacious requests. I'd rather her ask me an audacious request than not ask me anything at all. It's far better to deal with a overzealous daughter than having to beg her, come on, tell me what your dreams are. Far better. And you know what? The more I hear it, the more I know her heart, the more I want to give it to her. Dang it. We're so doomed. (laughs) But that's the father's heart, the bold, audacious. Be like a child, right? 
Faith like a child. Spend a few minutes with our daughter. You'll know what that looks like a whole lot more. She has no reservation in asking anything that she wants. Have the same boldness with God. Don't worry about it coming across as audacious. For specific situations, pray offensively, not defensively. Nick had mentioned that pray without doubting. You don't need to have all these disclaimers when you pray. When we pray disclaimers, we pray in, in seeds of disbelief. And whatever is not from faith is sin. It's okay to pray, God, I pray that this specific outcome happens. I believe you for it. I thank you for it. Even if you happen to be wrong, even if the world turns on its head and that doesn't happen, you've still honored God with a faithful, faith-filled request. That's all that God really wants. He wants us to ask without doubting and believe without second-guessing. And when we do this, you're going to completely transform your prayer life. Your prayers will actually suck less. Your prayers will go from boring to powerful and here's what also is going to happen. As you verbalize declaring what you have, your faith will be transformed. Your faith will follow where your words go. And so if you've been praying these lies and these falsehoods and these, these prayers of unbelief, you're going to have a faith that's shaky. But when you start declaring truth and boldness and you start declaring who you are and what you have and who you belong to, your faith will just go through the roof, and it's going to be awesome, and I love you guys.